uh, kind of move from what we just heard in praise and celebration to what we need to hear regarding the Word and how it communicates to our lives in ways, hopefully, that are meaningful. Uh, we are in a series called Micro Mastery, and perhaps you've been tracking with us and you've been seeing how important it is for us to get good at a few basic things like learning to read the Bible and learning to uh, pray and, and learning to do things that are just the basics of the faith that we don't think too much about. But yet, if you don't do them, you find that you're not very strong in the process of growing in your relationship with the Lord and with each other. And if you do practice those disciplines just in a very small amount each day, you find that they have a profound effect on your ability to get good at your faith. But there's one aspect of this whole uh, th th this whole theme of micromastery that I, I want to underscore that I haven't really brought to light yet. And that is how it is that we master things in our faith, but we do it together and not alone. And there are a lot of things about Christianity that I think are appealing from the standpoint of how it plays a role in our lives when we are alone. Uh, when we are in a moment of crisis, we can get on our knees and we can ask God to help us, and oftentimes He does. In our own private life, we think about how the Word relates to our own circumstances. And in our thought life, we reflect on how it is that God is at work in the everyday. But sometimes also in our thought life, we tend to think, well, I can just do it all alone and do it by myself. But what you find in Scripture is that by design, our faith is communal. It is a collaboration. It is something that we work together with a variety of people in the course of our life with the Lord to become who we are called to become. And along the way, we learn from our mistakes, and we uh, perhaps have a few failures, and we discover that, oh yeah, we need people. And as God looks at us, He loves us exactly for who we are, where we are, but He also loves us too much to not unlock those capacities that are within us, that He by design has embedded within our being, but yet can only be drawn out under certain conditions. And the conditions of learning to eat good rather than just drink the milk of just maybe coming to church on a Sunday and that being enough. To learning to, to, to uh, supplement and fortify ourselves in the course of the week. But the thing, you know the thing that kicks in the turbocharger of your faith that we haven't covered yet? It actually has not so much to do with you individually, but us together. And there are things that just don't work if we try to do them alone. For example, if you've ever typed into YouTube, ladder failures, don't do it if you're faint of heart or if you've had an incident with a ladder that you would rather not bring to the surface right now. However, for our instructional purposes, our educational purposes, maybe even the edutainment purposes, depending how twisted you are and seeing other people you know, fall off a ladder. Take a look. So he's got a table on top of a table and a ladder. This should work well and should end well. The only problem is, and he got up and walked away, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but he may not have had he tried to do it on a little bit taller ladder under different conditions. However, he's not, 
<laughs> Brian just has a pause there. He's <laughs> that was a little misleading. Uh, he, he does, I promise you, he does get up and walk away. I'm not kidding him. He's all right. Brian's just messing with us. There he is. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's just stop there for a minute. Where did this thing break down? Let's just, let's just unpack this. Let's do an autopsy, not really on a, on a, on a live situation. What, where did it go wrong? Okay, you put it on a table, but not one table, two tables. All right, so that probably is partly the reason why it broke down. Where else did it break down? He needed somebody to steady it. And basically all he had was a little kid to just watch it and see it unfold. And he's like, lesson learned. I don't think I'll try that as I get older. And sometimes we learn our best things through a negative example. But I think it's a little bit deeper here in this case because what you just heard about how it is important to have other people in an equation like that in order for it to be successfully executed. Uh, it, it can be understated enough. How many of you have ever had a ladder failure? Okay, a few of you have. How many of you have looked at the ladder where it says, not a step? You're like, yeah, I'll just take that on advisement. Under most conditions, that would apply, but under mine, not necessarily. But you know, it is not a step. And if you think that it is, you better have at least one person there hanging on because it's going to go. And if you think about our faith for a minute, it is something that if you try to do it by yourself and master it by yourself on the foundation of yourself, it's probably going to end up like that. I would even go so far as to say that there are a number of people that aren't in church today because they thought they could just do it alone. But the reality is, if there is anybody that I know who's stuck to it for a good duration of time, it's almost always been when they've connected with another human being or a group of human beings so that all the cohesion that's necessary for us to, to remain for the duration can take effect. There's a passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, that I want to I want to look at real quickly before I move on to the next uh, ladder failure video, and I'm going to read uh, verses 19 through 25, and I want you to tell me how many times you hear the mention of words that have to do with more than one person. Okay, you with me? All right. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
I know that was a lot of stuff to kind of process this early in the morning. But did you notice that almost every other word or certainly every third world, there, there, there's some reference to more than one person. It's almost like he's saying you can't do it alone. If you were to look at what he said about the high priest and Jesus being the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who makes it what it needs to become in our understanding of who God is. It's just a way of summarizing everything that he said from verse from chapter 1 to chapter 10. And this is almost like where he hits the pause button and says, now we're going to make a policy based on everything that we know and we've learned, and this is how it's going to play out. In other words, he's saying that if you want to live out in a very practical way all the realities that Jesus has put into motion for us, these are the things that we need to consider. And there's no way that we can micromaster this part of our faith that has to be done in a community of people, a community of people that have certain qualities where it works. Now, I know that as people gather in a church, it's not an angel factory. That you guys don't walk in the front door on the first day and then you walk out perfect and in every... I know some of you may think that's possibly the case, but for most of us, not so much. It is a process of day in and day out learning to get along with other people in an environment that um, can test us. And the church sometimes can be a beautiful place where we experience the realities of God in a profound way. But it can also be a place where it can create a lot of pain. That the people in the church can have a pretty <laughs> diminishing effect on, on our person because of the things that they say, the way that they approach it. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us in a state of mind where when we do life together, we do it in a way that's constructive. Now, if the guy who is uh, laying on the ground, but as you know, got back up and was okay, had reconsidered what, how, how his day was executed, he might have thought, yeah, I needed another person in that mix because it didn't end well. And maybe there are people who walked out of this building and they felt like, yeah, I like the idea of what's going on in church. I just don't like how ineffective it's been in helping me in my walk. And perhaps that breakdown that you've experienced has to do with what, what we're call, being called a master today, and that is mastering life together. Now, there's another ladder fail that broke down not because there wasn't another individual in, 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 uh, in, in the equation, but how that other individual was playing a role in the process. And I, I want to I show that real quickly. Here are a couple of guys, if you can see it. Climbing up the ladder, guys down there on the bottom. I don't know. Can we hear the? Can we hear the, the volume on that one? Okay, you heard enough there to make a point. I think it kind of went on a little bit. So two guys trying to do something that perhaps is. Uh, well-intended and, and, and purposeful thing, 
But somewhere along the way, it just didn't work. Did you get the sense that after that conversation, they were going to leave in two different directions? And how many times in a church setting has that happened where you gather and for whatever reason, you get sideways with another human being? And then, well, it doesn't end well. And so much so that in the comment section of, of some of the stuff that I looked at, one of them was church-related. And it talked about people doing things together and in, um, in, 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 in commenting on how difficult it is for that to happen. Uh, this person wrote these words in the comment section of, of a YouTube video that was very similar to what we watched. He said, Larry, a guy named Larry said, I'm both a homebody and an introvert. I'm spiritual, non-religious, single man without kids. I don't like loud places. I like crowded places. I, I, I like crowded, I don't like crowded, crowded places at all. I don't go to church at all. I stopped going to church and religious groups years ago, and I'm never going back to them. They have too much drama for me. And how many people have gone to church and they've said, hmm, yeah, the concept of God, wonderful. And the experience of having my sins cleansed can't be beat. The idea that Jesus is my personal Savior, that rings true. But the fact that you have to combine that with other people, well, that's where it starts to break down. And what I'd like to do today is help us to see that that doesn't have to be the case. That we can gather in an environment where it is more about mutually upbuilding rather than asking the question, how can I avoid drama? My, my suspicion is, if we focus on the right things in the right way, the drama will be self-corrected. And a lot of times, when we're busy serving and we're doing things together, we don't really have the idleness to create drama. I'd almost say sometimes that there is a sort of a rule of thumb where, uh, where, where people who are engaged in a, in a serving activity in the church, the, the level of drama that they create oftentimes, to the degree that they are serving, diminishes significantly or proportionally. And I've seen other people that are just idle and they're armchair critics of everything that happens but unwilling to engage. And as Paul is writing the letter to the Corinthians that we studied this summer, and as the writer of Hebrews is writing that letter, he's saying, here's how we overcome that. Here's, here's uh, just a, a cluster of things that we do better together than we do alone. Matter of fact, I think he would go so far as to say that we can master together rather than master alone. And as you just consider for a minute the we aspect of those verses, I want to I just begin by moving into what, what he said. And the first thing is, he simply says, drawing near to God. Let us draw near to God. And these are things that we can master better together. If, uh, if, if you look at the people in this room, it seems like everybody's pretty low-key and Things are going well. I'm assuming that that's the case. But if I had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with many of you, you would just begin to tell me all the things that are going on in your life that you're struggling with. And I can't help but think that on a Sunday morning, assuming that we're not the two latter guys in our attitude about what happens here, we're seeking some encouragement. We're seeking 
something in the realm of growing stronger in our connection with the Lord. When he said, let us draw near together, he has in the background the idea of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, as he explained in the previous verses. But he also, in the process, wants us to embrace that in such a way that that becomes part of our own, our own lives. If you look at the foot of the cross, you find that there is no, there, there's no ego, there is no agenda, there is just simply a crucified Savior. And at the foot of that cross are all the members of a broken humanity who willfully admit, I would not be who I am or where I am without that blessing cross. It's a very humbling experience to come before the presence of the Lord, isn't it? especially when he's nailed to a cross in the way that says, I've given my life for you to such a degree that you can't even begin to comprehend what it's like for God to become man and then to die and then, as we know, rise again. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling, isn't it? So when we gather, we bring these realities front and center and we ponder them and we realize that but by the grace of God, we go forward. Now, the writer of Hebrews says we can worship, but we can't necessarily do that in our car alone, in our prayer life alone, in our time alone, to the fulfilling degree that we do it corporately. So every first day of the week, you ever wonder why we worship on Sunday as opposed to Saturday like the Hebrew people did? It's because... On the first day of the week, Jesus came out of the grave, and he established a, a new era. And he said, I want you to gather every first day of the week and remember what happened on the first day of the week so that you can participate in that transformational experience. And symbolically, that day reminds us, week in and week out, that something new and different is underway. So we draw near together and we create, hopefully, or we are part of an awesome experience that God is co-creating with us in, in, in a way that the sum of the parts, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Now, if you take that a step further and we ask the question, how is it that we draw near together? Sometimes it's just knowing that there's another person who's going through life like myself that's enough. Other times there's a person who may be struggling with a sin or they may be struggling with uh, a, a challenge in their lives and they need that other person beside them. So he moves a little bit deeper into how it is that we do life together in the Lord, how we collaborate, how we do it in the community, how it can only work that way, by reminding us, secondly, that we hang on to hope. Now it's one thing to struggle to be in isolation with our pain, it's a completely different set of circumstances when somebody walks into our world and says, I know what you're going through. I've been exactly in your shoes before, and I made it to the other side. I made it through it. I overcame. And if you've ever had an illness or been through a battle with cancer, if you've had something in your life that has been so profound that it changed you forever, but you made it through it by the grace and the power of the Lord, then my guess is the Lord has set you up 
to be a messenger of hope for other people that are, are looking for it. And you can't get that without other people coming alongside. When somebody is going through a deep personal crisis and they receive a card or a letter or a word of encouragement, they receive a phone call, a text, something that says, we're, we're hoping alongside you. The scripture goes even so far as to say we have a living hope. Not one that is just, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down and, 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 and to the mountaineer and I'm going to trust that the process of accumulating wealth against my debt is going to be resolved in that setting. That's a kind of hope for sure. But that in no way is a reflection of the kind of hope we're talking about that is centered not in uh, some kind of superstition or some kind of probability or game of chance but in a person named Jesus who embodied all of the pain and the struggle of our humanity and even the grave itself to the other side where he's raised immortal. I mean, if there was ever a go-to person for hope, it's him. He is the central focus of our worship. But as we worship, we don't worship him alone. We worship him together as a force multiplier. Then the third thing that he... He tells us in writing this letter so that whenever we gather and we don't do our faith alone, he says we share this hope and we share this need to corporately uh, express praise and hear the word and worship, but also being a catalyst for love and for serving. Catalyst for love and for serving. I think one of the, one of the most positive serving experiences that, that I can think of is how we've done Serve Salem initiatives and how we've just gone into different places in the community and cleaned up things or did things for people that were expressions of our faith and doing that alongside other people and then having conversations with them and then growing in relationship with them because, well, had I not been involved in this serving opportunity, I never would have met you or had uh, had become aware of who you were as a human being. I just see you in church every Sunday. I, I turn to the right and I say hi and you say hi back and that's about all I know. But whenever we experience serving together, maybe we weren't going to do that initiative if somebody said, hey, why don't you come alongside and help us in, in the Serve Salem initiative or help us in serving in some facet of the church. And then all of a sudden you find yourself having a new community of people. A pretty clear uh, example of that are the, are the people behind me. Some of you who were timid said, I can't sing, don't want to sing. And until uh, you know you nudge and you urge and you prod and all of that stuff, but you don't do it alone, do you? you these other guys around you, they, they say, come on, come on, you know, let's, let's try it. And, you know, like me, I blend, but whenever I'm in a crowd of people like you guys, I sound awesome. I just got to say it. Um, when I stand next to Tilla and I sing, I feel like, man, the angels are listening to me sing right now. They're going, that's pretty awesome, Leonard. Um, because we just have this way of, of having an impact on each other's lives that uh, we can't do alone. And there's a catalytic effect when somebody says, yeah, you need to serve. I don't know if everybody's aware of this, but my predecessor, Jack Austin, uh, when he, he served here, he had served in a couple other churches prior to coming here, and then he was uh, a member of a church as a young man in Harry, Illinois, and he had a pastor named Bill Stark, and Bill told Jack, Jack, 
I think you need to become a pastor. Matter of fact, I'm not giving you a choice. I'm just going to push you into the pool on the deep end, and I know you can swim. And he did, and he swam well. What I didn't realize whenever I first got into a conversation with Jack was how that very same pastor, some years later, did the same thing to me. He said, Leonard, I think you'd be good at this, and I've already talked to this church and told them that you would start preaching for them. Well, that was definitely a catalyst. I had never preached before. I never even, you know, I didn't do well in public speaking. And as I considered that possibility, I thought, hmm, I would never do that without somebody else kind of nudging me. Well, it took. And then what was so ironic is when Jack and I got into a conversation as he was looking for someone to tra transition into this role, <laughs> we both had the same story. Yeah, we wouldn't be here had it not been for Bill Starr pushing us into the deep end of the, of the, of the pool. And we kind of laugh about it because we wouldn't have probably done it had he not played that role. And so sometimes there is work that needs to be done that God looks at the cross-section of people and he says, I think you. And you're like, me? I don't think so. And God's like, no, I think so. And then he uses one of us to say, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Why don't you walk into that? And what's so fascinating is when people start to walk into it, they'll tell me a few years later, I never would have guessed that I'd be doing what I'm doing today two years ago. The thought never would have crossed my mind had somebody not kind of nudged me along into that. And what it did, in effect, was it opened up my faith in a way that I don't know that it would have had that, that, that level of depth without serving. But it gets even richer because he, he ends it by saying this. Be an encourager along the way. That is, we should spur one another and not forsake meeting together. Now, I know that if, if, if I had the option and the alarm clock went off on a Sunday morning and I was up late the evening before, I might be tempted to say, I'm just going to watch it on YouTube and call it a day. I know you guys have probably never been tempted to do that. But the fact that I'm paid to do this and responsible for a group of people, I can't really do that option. I have to show up. And I'm glad, because every time I do, something cool always happens. But the other side of that is, it's pretty easy to get into the habit of just kind of slacking and saying, yeah, I kind of take it or leave it. And you may look at it as an individual thing, like, doesn't matter if I go or if I stay, but what you don't realize is every time you show up, there are other people around you who are saying to themselves, I'm glad you showed up. I'm glad you're part of this. And chances are, God may be even conversationally provoking something between you and another person that never would have happened had you not been present. And so part of showing up is for our own spiritual benefit. But the other half of it is for the benefit of the people around you. And at the end of the day, when we master something, it's always good to master something. But have you ever tried bench pressing? Anybody ever tried bench pressing weights? Okay. Have you ever put too many weights on there 
and then you got it down on your chest, and all of a sudden, it didn't go up like it was supposed to? And you ever been by yourself when that happened? And you're thinking, if I had had a spotter, my obituary may have a different date on it. I mean, you seriously, you're thinking, this is the end right here. And somehow, by the grace of God, you, you get through it. But it's, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to build these muscles up, and I'm going to do it with my own strength and my own, my own savvy, my own capacity. But you recognize that once you start to build who you are, you need a spotter. You need other people to help train you. You need a mentor. You need a guide. You need people that can give you input and along the way show you how to do it. It's not a singular effort. You can only go so far and then you stop. And that's why we keep gathering. And I always gather with the question in mind every Sunday. God, what are you going to be up to today in our people's lives? And invariably, there's something. And a lot of times, I, I pull aside or I pull people aside and I pray with them. And a lot of times, I hear pretty fascinating and interesting stories. And it is, it, it isn't, it isn't, um, it, it isn't unusual for people to say, and this is what I saw God doing in my life today. And to be honest with you, I, I wouldn't miss it for the world. I have the best job in the world. Some of you are like, yeah, you have to put up with a lot of drama and you got to put up with all these things. But the reason why I'm still here is because the cool and good things that happen, the surprises that happen, the changes that occur, the people that grow, the ways that faith gets deeper, the sense of connectedness that you have with people that would otherwise have been totally complete strangers because we share one thing in common, and that is Christ our Savior. There's so many rich things that can happen. You know, this week I, I asked a friend if he wanted to go out for lunch. And another friend said, uh, hey, let's go out for lunch. So we all three went out to lunch. And we got a hamburger together and some food. And we shot the breeze and stuff. And then we got in this Plum Crazy Purple 2014 Emmy Challenger 6 speed. Not to go into the details, but this car. And we drove it under the speed limit. And we saw a blimp. And we started chasing it in the car. And it kept getting away from us. And we thought, well, if we keep going, we're going to be like in Lima, Ohio. So we better just stop and back off. So we turned into this, we turned into this, uh, uh, this development, this housing development, which happens to be a place that I know somebody from our church that was a, uh, that, that just built a house there, but they had been struggling with uh, some some real pain, and, and uh, my friends wanted to see what this development looked like, so we drove around, and there she was, and she had just got surgery last week, and we pulled in, and I thought, I'm just going to go and pray with her, and she said, I'm so glad that you came, and I just wanted to rejoice in what God's been doing, and I didn't have anybody to celebrate with with me because I've been able to come to church. And it was like, all of a sudden, when you just start moving into the adventure, things start to happen. And I could just go on and on and on about how, when you just put the wheels in motion, and you just say, God, I make the plans, but you direct the path. But you do it with other people as a part of the equation. That's why it's better to have a 
car than a motorcycle sometimes because you can bring a lot of people with you. And when you do, that's where the awesome things happen. I would even go so far as to say when it comes to your faith, and if you're really bored or you're just a hyper nerd, go through the entire New Testament. Or no, just go through the writings of No, just go through a couple of letters of Paul's. And circle all the times he talks about we versus me or my when it comes to our faith. And I think you'll be surprised at how frequently the references are about doing church as us together. And how few they are about an individual Savior who saves my soul individually for my own individual salvation and I can keep it private. Matter of fact, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And did you know the reason why? And I'm just going to end here. The reason why he said, don't forsake meeting together, spur one another on. It wasn't because there were a bunch of introverts in the church. And it wasn't because people felt like it's optional, I can do it alone, or I can do it with other people. It, it's really my call. That wasn't even their thought process. Do you know what the issue was? When the people who received this letter read this letter, they read it in a state of fear and apprehension. Because there were, well, there were governmental <coughs> officials, there were military people, there were police officers who essentially were saying you can't meet in the name of Jesus and worship in the name of Jesus. And if you do, it might be at the threat of your own existence. And so people were actually not meeting because they were shy, they weren't meeting because they were introverted or because they thought it was either or. They were not meeting because they were afraid that if they were caught, something bad would happen. Now what would you do if we lived in that moment? Or somebody made a decree that churches need to stop worshiping and do so immediately. You need to stop going to church and do so immediately. How would that affect your view of everything? My guess is there's a longing inside of you that says, I can't not do that. And he was saying, you should meet. Because God is in control. And you should trust that he's in control. And you should trust one another under those conditions. And they had to learn to trust each other. Because in some ways it was them versus a world that didn't want them to be. And I don't think that's changed any. Because I think the world out there doesn't want you to be. It doesn't want you to express that there is only one Lord and one Savior. It doesn't want you to bring your religion into any place other than these four walls. It doesn't want you to think like anything but the world. It doesn't want you to have boundaries and have a way of life where you thrive in the Lord. It doesn't want you to not live in fear or be 
it doesn't want you to not be polarized against people of other genders or other races or religions or political views. It wants you to be all caught up in all of that drama. And for God, there's only one drama to get caught up in. And it is the drama of Gethsemane that led to the drama of the cross, that led to the drama of the, of the, of the Savior laying in the tomb, that led to the drama of the Savior coming out of the tomb, victorious, <coughs> proclaiming that He is King of kings and Lord of lords once and for all. That really is the only drama that we should be worried about. And as we grow and as we become more like Him, that is the drama that becomes the only drama that we care about. But you can't get there by yourself. This is a we proposition. We happens best in groups, in community, in places where you serve with other people, in Sunday school classes. And if you're not a part of something like that, perhaps my challenge to you at this stage of our series of mastering things is to take a step into a small group, a Sunday school class, a serving environment, a singing environment. And perhaps for those of us who are around other people, maybe it's our chance to invite you to those spaces and to see how your faith can really begin to take off. Would you, would you bow with me? Father, as we conclude uh, this part of our series and our journey together, I just want to lift up this body of people who have gathered I pray that your spirit would be upon them, that a spirit of unity would prevail, that we would have eyes and ears and hearts and minds, that with unique personalities, yet same priorities. And I pray that you help us to prioritize each day, not only our devotion to you, but our devotion to one another. And I pray that you would open up pathways for us to go down, that we can connect with other people and find within those relationships your voice and experience within those relationships our own growth. So I pray that for the body of people here and beyond the people that couldn't make it today, I pray that we would become more cohesive in who we are in Christ, that your word wouldn't return void. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here who needs to make a decision to join a family that is designed to welcome and to show hospitality and to bring boundaries to life and to bring love to bear upon those connections and to find a place where we can thrive and grow. I pray, Father, that you help us in that way and help those who are seeking to find those things that can't be found anywhere except in you and through your church. So bless everyone here in that journey as we surrender our lives to you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.